Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Every single week, we talk about digital hospitality. Every business needs to be digital first, and every business needs to be in the hospitality business. Now, what exactly does that mean? That means that every week, we bring on people that we admire, people that are doing things that are great in the digital marketing world, in the digital media world, influencers, people that run businesses, uh, basically people that we admire. Um, today's guest was recommended by Zach Oates, a former guest who is the founder of Ovation, a technology that we use in our restaurant that we absolutely love and we can't stop screaming and shouting about. Um, but today's guest is uh, David Rev Ciancio. And uh, Dave, I've seen what you've been doing and I feel like we're brothers. I feel like there's, this is episode one of many episodes that I'm going to have you on the podcast. So I'm super excited to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's funny in your intro, you're like, oh, we talked to influential, smart, intelligent people, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, cool. Who's the guest? Who's the guest? The guest I'm, is you. I was shocked it was me. Thanks. The guest <laughs> is you, my friend. You can't hide from your digital footprint that you've created. He has one of the top three blogs, burger blogs. He has the most popular fry Instagram account. Um, this guy has just been doing everything that we talk about on digital hospitality, and uh, he's been doing it for, for over two decades in multiple different industries. So um, he he lives and breathes digital hospitality, and we're, uh, we're honored to have you on. Uh, thank you. I'm honored to be here. I, like I tell people, I, I failed at owning a restaurant, uh, but I got really good at marketing one. And so I dedicated the rest of my career to helping other restaurants be as good as I was at marketing a restaurant. So, so Rev, give us the Rev story first. So uh, people know why, why you go by Rev. Are you a reverend? I am. I was ordained at the Universal Life Church in Modesto, California on January 22nd, 1997. Uh, it is what I call like the Internet's first official meme that I fell in love with. Like, oh, it's really that easy to become ordained? Cool. I'll do that. Won't it be funny for if people have to call me Reverend David? Uh, and so I did it. Uh, and then I started signing my emails, Rev David Ciancio, and even got my checks from my bank to say Rev David Ciancio. And people didn't realize it was a title, right? They thought it was like my name, uh, you know, or a nickname. So people just started calling me Rev and I went with it. I was like, okay, cool. You know, my mother doesn't call me that. My wife doesn't call me that, but everybody else does. So see, I told you he was a branding expert. So the, the man, the man knows how to brand personal brand and business brand. Uh, Good. Now uh, the next question that you weren't going to ask, but I'm going to answer anyway, is tell me about the first time you married somebody. Yes. Tell me that. Uh, are you familiar with the band Guar? I'm, I actually am familiar with Guar. Okay, so for any of your, your viewers or listeners who don't know who Guar is, you need to go Google G-W-A-R. They are, and this is their words, not mine, aliens from another planet who are here to decimate our planet, okay? They're a heavy, they're a heavy metal band that you will see they have contraptions and devices and they look like monsters and like they're scary, very scary. And when you go see them live, they're a heavy metal band and they like dismember people and they feed people to meat grinders and like, like it's violent and scary, but it's hilarious. The very first time I married a couple was on stage at a Guar show, right? As part of the finale, I pronounced them scum and maggot. They then took the bride and the groom and fed them to the meat grinder underneath the drummer and then fed me to it. So my mom was real proud that day. 
That I, I, for some reason, I remember Guar sticking out as not being yoga, med- yo- yo- yoga music. That's not what you hear in a yoga studio. It's not meditation music. Not one I would go to anyway. <laughs> that is a phenomenal story. Tell, tell me about uh, your experience in, uh, in running, in running bands, promoting bands. Uh- Sure. I was in the music business for 11 years. That was like my first professional. Actually, my first professional dream was to be a radio DJ. Uh, and I got that job when I was still in college. And four weeks later, I was like, boy, do I hate this. Uh, and <laughs> so I moved to New York City to go work for an agency where we promoted um, basically heavy metal bands to get radio airplay around the country. And that kind of got boring to me quickly because I wanted to do more. And I was like, I want to go find bands and manage them. Uh, and so I found a couple of you know metal and punk and emo bands and started helping them out and eventually grew that agency to you know multi-million dollar agency where I was managing bands who were playing Reading and Leeds who were recording with Dave Grohl who had top 10 Grammy uh, top 10 Billboard albums Grammy nominees it was really fun like what that was year, a, what years was that uh, I started that in 1996 and I walked away from the business uh, in 2011 in 2011. Wow. So you're really web 1.0 to web 2.0. Oh, yes. I remember the day I started at the first company, we had one shared email address for every single employee (laughs) and it was an AOL account and it was dial up. Yeah. And you, you had to reserve, you had to reserve email time by the half an hour. And my boss told me I was too junior to use it during daytime hours. So if I wanted to email, I had to come in. Now you'll laugh. This is a true story. I sent the very first email blast in the history of the music business. I love it. Tell me, tell me more. Uh, I, I, I worked for an agency where we, we, we promoted records to radio stations and uh, we promoted primarily to college radio stations. And I said to my boss, you know, all these students have student emails. And he's like, nobody reads email. I was like, these students have like .edu accounts. We should email them each week with our promotion list. Hey, we have this new record. You should play this band. And he was like, OK, I don't think that's important. Can you go back to faxing everybody? That's true. And he wanted me to prepare the week facts to tell people so i came in i would come in facts oh this is getting better and better (laughs) i would come in at like seven in the morning and be the first person in the office with my cup of coffee and my bagel uh, i'm east coast and i would log into aol and i would type out an email like hey students and you know djs here's the songs blah blah blah." and i sent the very first email blast in the music business promoting records well, you're you're in good company. I know I know another company that built their their business based off of .edu uh, addresses. What, there you which, go. Which company would that be? The one that I worked for. No, the company the, the company that we all know, the Facebook. The oh, Facebook. the Facebook. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were much going more successful college, than me. Going after college students is a smart uh, smart targeted audience. Yeah, so, and here we went and that uh, not not to get, just continue down this path too long but no, the, I, I like the path because it's a company it's a, i worked for at the time. the whole story yeah the company i worked for at the time we had four competitors right and prior to me arriving at that company they were usually in the bottom two they were usually four or five um a year later we were the number one, number one company and like by a landslide so um, not just we had a good team it wasn't just me patting myself on the back but like using digital communication was like a key move for that company what was your oh shit moment was it that email blast i mean cuz we i mean 
I have multiple internet oh shit moments where I'm like, oh shit, this is way bigger than I thought it was. And I still have it to this day. Um, what was the first genesis of, of kind of, you know, your, your digital marketing, digital media, the reach of the internet? Uh, you know, I don't know that there was like a single one that I was like, oh my God. Um, but like, you know, the amount of revenue that that department generated, I think doubled within like three months. Uh, because there, you know, the, like I said, there's only four or five companies that did what we did. And there was a finite amount of, of record labels that would spend money on that. And suddenly like, we weren't like begging for business. We were like turning down business. So it was sort of like a gradual, it wasn't like something popped, uh, but like it was a, it was fat. You know what? It was probably faster for the people that worked there before me than it was for me. Cause I didn't know what it was like before that. You know Got what it. I mean? Got it. So what I, what I love to talk about is your own personal journey with your smartphone. So as you evolved with your brand, you know, obviously managing these bands, 2007 is a very important date for me because it's the June 29th, 2007 was the launch of the first iPhone. And I, and I say that because so many of us take for granted this incredible piece of technology that we have in our pocket, um, whether you're a small business owner, middle-sized business owner, or you're a huge tech company publicly traded. Um, we take these things for granted. And our job is to have a conversation that most people aren't willing to have. And that's just look at look at what we can do. Look at what we can do with the smartphone. Um, were you an iPhone early iPhone adopter? Do you, do you have an iPhone? Let's start there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Um, I like to joke uh, that for years, customers have been on their iPhones and now restaurants are ready to be on them, too. <laughs> That's a good joke. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I, I was actually I was actually a BlackBerry user for a while, okay. um, and the very first BlackBerry I had was the one that was like the green screen, yep. on, the, on like the private network. But like I was a band manager, so like I was like on the road with bands, or you know I was in a venue. Like I was not always in front of a computer, so like I, like and I would be out and I'd need to take down notes of something somebody told me, or like I knew I was getting emails during the day I was missing, and I was like, this is not okay, and I. I remember I would have a BlackBerry in one hand and a flip phone in the other. And I'd be the guy on the flip yes. phone, like trying to type and hold my phone like this. Uh, I was that guy for a while. I love it. Not not the Jimmy Iveen, but you actually had the BlackBerry. You weren't you the land, landline guy. No, well, prior, but yes. Prior, but yes. Actually, when I went to get a smartphone, the very first phone I got was an Android. Um, and that marks the first of two times in my life that I owned an Android for 24 hours. <laughs> we're not we're not here to bash Androids. We're just big believers in, in Apple and the iPhone. Well, let, let's talk about the iPhone specifically and, and how it related to your career and what you started to do on the iPhone and then what you started to do for clients. Um, you know, let's go back to the burger blog because I started that when I had the BlackBerry, right? Yeah, let's do Let's go there. And I realized that I could literally create and write a whole blog from a mobile device, right? I went, I used like blogger.com, which was like free Gmail blog software that was super easy to update from a mobile device. My BlackBerry had a phone, it wasn't good, uh, but I could take pictures of hamburgers. And literally while I was still in the restaurant, I could take a picture of a hamburger, write like a five sentence review, get it up 
on to blogger and like i i had a blog like it was essentially like what instagram is now i was doing with blogger like it was the exact same thing and people were like oh my god how did you figure this out i'm like it ain't hard you know what i mean yeah. but fr from that activity from the like taking pictures getting it live super fast the blog started to grow right and then twitter and myspace were happening at that same time and i was using twitter and myspace so like same thing instagram didn't happen till later and Facebook kind of didn't came somewhere in there. But essentially, like what you would do with Instagram, I was doing on a Blackberry. You know what I mean? And that was really the start of it. And why did you start the burger blog? This is a funny story. <laughs> so I used to be an artist manager in the music business, which we kind of covered. And I had a number of bands who were like worldwide touring acts with Grammy, like big bands. Right. And, you know, Facebook or sorry, MySpace and Twitter were like really heavily embraced first by the music business heavily. Right. Remember, MySpace was all about your top eight songs and like like and I looked at, at MySpace and Twitter. and I said, holy crap, this is like the first time in history where a band, an artist has the opportunity to have direct communication and own their audience. And they weren't reliant on like a publicist or advertising or all these a radio station. I was like, this is revolutionary. And so I was trying to get my bands to embrace Twitter and MySpace because I was like, guys, what happens when the shoe drops? What happens if you write a crappy album? What happens if you get dropped? What if your A&R guy leaves? Like all these things like you, you should have a connection to your fans. And so I was trying to get my bands to update their Twitter, MySpace daily. And I would call and it'd be like two o'clock, like, Hey, it's Rev. How was last night's show? And like, we'd go through the, you know, we sold this many tickets, this was merch. Cool. How come you didn't update your MySpace page? And I would get the same answer every time. Oh, Rev, you don't know how busy it is out here on the road. We have interviews and that's thing. And I'm like, BS, I've been on your tour bus. I've seen how much Nintendo you play. Right. And right. so this, you asked the question. Well, not only Nintendo, but other things. Yeah, whatever, whatever it was. I was like, I know how many beer cans a day get thrown out. But anyway, point being, right, I, this, you asked the question, why did I start it? I said, look, I'll prove to you that I can run your business, I can run my other band's businesses, and I can run my business, and I can also update social media just to prove to you that you can get it done. So I was like, what, do I, what am I gonna put on Twitter and a blog? And I was like, oh, I'll start writing about hamburgers, like, cause I like food literally as a challenge to my artists to show them that they can create media daily. Uh, and long story, long story short, that burger blog blew up. It changed my career forever and, and whatever. And, and m most of those bands finally adopted social media, but that was it. It was, I was trying to prove to somebody else that it wasn't hard. Well, I think that's probably, you know, part of the, Oh shit moment is understanding that now, especially, especially, you know, in the last 15 years, but all of these platforms, if it's not easy, they're not sustainable platform. If it's not easy for an average person to go in, like literally, if you can drive a car, you can build a website. <laughs> like that's literally how, how it is. But we give our, we underestimate how easy it is and we don't give ourselves enough credit. At one point, people didn't know how to send an email, but we learned how to do that. And then now it's like, well, I don't know how to tweet or I can't put a video on TikTok. That's not true. I, I'll tell you this, John, and, and this might not appeal to most of your, your audience, but, you know, for us marketers, I created an ebook last week in two hours. In two hours, I created an ebook that's had 83 downloads this week, right? 
It's not hard to do this thing. I'll, I'll give you my, my, here's my process in one minute. Turned on Zoom, I talked into my computer for seven minutes, right, about how to sell more heart-shaped pizzas for Valentine's Day. I took that, I uploaded it to temi.com, I got it transcribed for $1.50, right? I pulled it in, into Google Documents. I did editing for about two hours, like just to format it the way I wanted it. I went on a fundal Rolodex and I hired a designer for 150 bucks to go and create a, a cover and lay everything out. And by Saturday, the ebook was done. I put it on ClickFunnels on Sunday and released it Monday morning and it's had 83 downloads. Like is this stuff is not hard, right? You think- explain, explain ClickFunnels. It, I, I love this. This is perfect because this is so, it's so fucking important I can't tell you how important this is. And this is the essence of why we care about this podcast. We care about all the people listening, because if a barbecue company can become a media company, if you can manage bands, world-class bands, and then produce a burger blog, that's the number one blog, you know, it's so fucking easy, but you have to do it. You have to do it. You have to get over your fear and you have to do it. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially in the restaurant business, get there's like a, there's two things that happen. There's one that's like they're so busy that they don't dedicate the time to just learn enough. Right. So and that's a real that's a real thing. Right. You're an operator. You have to operate. I get that. You're not a marketer. OK. But the other well, thing I would, I would argue that every operator has to be a marketer. Yeah. They are a marketer and they don't even know that they're a marketer. Amen. God bless. They're a marketer in real life. They just need to be a marketer online. And being a marketer online means literally doing what you're doing in real life and then pressing the camera button and record it and then putting it online. That's it. Couldn't agree more. So the second piece of that is what I think also gets tripped up is because they don't know how to do it or they're afraid to learn it or they're not going to take the time. They get this like, oh, well, I'm going to suck at it, so I'm not going to do it. Right. I wouldn't put out a half ass pizza. I'm not going to put out a half ass tweet. Right. Like I get that. But here's the thing. Being done is better than not being done at all. Yep. Right. Good. Good is better than nothing. Yep. And like if I you know what? I'll, when we get done with the, the interview, I'll send it to you. I will send you not only my very first Instagram post ever, which yes. was literally a black square. <laughs> it is a black square and there's no text. There's no yes. comment. I go back and look at it and I still have no idea why I did that. Yes. So my, like you can't get worse than that. OK. And now I have six hundred thousand dollars. OK. And I will. I will also send you my very first blog post ever on the burger. It is the worst looking hamburger photo you will ever see. It is a, a burger I gnarled into with my teeth and it's like kind of rareish and out of focus and burnt. And I literally like my blog post was like one sentence. It was like, we've scored beef touchdown. That's it. Like, like getting done is better than doing nothing. I think that's so important. Stover, our producer, he'll put um, those photos into the show notes, which we produce after the show. We also use Temi to transcribe uh, the, the conversation that we have. Ian, who's in Austin, is going to write an article for this. Uh, talk to me about ClickFunnels before I forget. Oh, hold on. I, I got to stop you in your tracks. I think we might believe in the same principle. Yes. It's not, it's not how, but who? Yes. You don't need how, you don't need to know how to do everything. You just need to know who to hire to do it. Correct. I mean, I wish every restaurateur understand that. You don't need to be a master of social media if you don't want to do it. Just find somebody to do it for you, right? Correct. Well, I, that, that's one of my, my greatest skills is knowing that I can't cook barbecue. So I have Jean Goycochet, our, our pit master. Like, I'm not, the, that was my fear, to be honest with you, when we first started this journey was, I don't want to go on local news and get asked by you know the anchor 
on Fox five Shelly's number running, she's going to say, you know, ask me some technical question about barbecue and I'm going to sound like an asshole because <laughs> people in San Diego that live that are from Kansas city, that are from Texas, that are from Memphis and go, this guy's a fraud. Well, I got over that and I realized no one's going to tell the Cali barbecue media story better than I am. And then now guess what? We get called to go do all kinds of different media stuff because we're willing to look stupid in the beginning. But back to what you said, like, the beginning, you said that operators, they they don't make a shitty pizza. I would argue that they made a shitty pizza. They just don't remember it. They do remember it. We made a bunch of shitty brisket when we first started. Brisket was the last thing that we added to our menu because it was bad. It was really bad. But now we can make some incredible brisket. It's 13 years later. And li- listen, I, I used to joke all the time. It's not really whether the brisket was great or not. It's the story you tell about it. The bar, I, the bar I used to own, our most, our number one selling cocktail. You will laugh, okay? Number one selling cocktail uh, was called the Super Soldier Serum, or in short, we just called it Captain America, okay? And it was fifty percent makers, fifty percent orange juice. You literally could not screw up making it. And you're like, Rev, why is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard so popular at your bar? Okay, this is it. One day, somebody walked into the bar and they had the sniffles, right? Yeah. And they were like, "Hey, you feeling is nah, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm feeling a little under weather. I, I need to get some booze in my system, like, and, I, and it's like to clear up my. I was like, "Well, why don't you put some vitamin C in there too?" He's like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "I don't know. Let's pour your makers OJ." And like he drank it, and an hour later, he's like, "Dude, I feel awesome." I was like, "That's because it's super." Oh, we just invented a drink. And so people would come in with the sniffles and be like, can I get a Captain America? And then people just actually started to like it because we told a great story. <laughs> Please expand on storytelling because that is exactly the magic. It is exactly the magic of marketing. It's storytelling. Why is it so important? Uh, because, you know, regardless of people, if, if I would ask everybody in the street, are you creative? And it doesn't matter if the answer is yes or no. Every single person is, has a creative mind. Okay. And it is much more easy to understand a concept when you see yourself in those shoes. Right. And so if I explain to you the concept of something really difficult, right, it is much easier for you to understand it. If I put you in the shoes of understanding that scenario, right. And how do we get people to understand something you can relate when you tell a story right and so you it's much easier to understand accept learn become manifest when you hear it through the details of a story because you put yourself in the place of that person right when you watch star wars you are luke you know what i mean and you see yourself becoming a jedi because you are seeing it through luke's eyes so rev you wrote an ebook, which we're going to put a link into the show notes, um, called Six Recipes for Marketing Success. It's one of the favorite, my most favorite ebooks I've read. Um, very impactful information uh, for restaurant owners to really start to do all the do all the things that we talk about. So thank you for making that playbook. Can you tell us a couple of the recipes uh, for marketing success? Sure. If you love that one, I came out with one this week that I love called How to Sell a Ridiculous amount of heart-shaped pizza. So uh, anyway, thank you. I'm grateful. Um, that's a great buy. I wrote that a couple years ago, but um, you know, people ask me this question, like what's the most important thing from that recipe list? It, 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 I'm going to ask your permission. I'm going to talk about one thing from that book that I think most restaurant operators either don't know about or overlook. Is that cool? Yeah, that's great. Okay. So let's say that you are craving an acai bowl. By the way, I don't even know what that feels like, but some people do. If you were craving an acai bowl, what would you do? 
Well, I would go. I would go to uh, to Everbowl, but that's because I'm uh, close friends with uh, Jeff Fenster, who's on the podcast, and he makes an incredible acai bowl. But nonetheless, if I didn't know Jeff and I didn't know his location, I would Google acai near me. Right, and you know who does that? Literally everyone. Okay, now this is important. These are important stats. Okay, for the last five years, five years in a row, the number one near me search on Google is not like where do I get my oil changed. It's not where do I buy bed sheets. It's not where do I go golfing. The number one near me search for five years running on Google is restaurants near me. It is not the name of your restaurant. It is specifically the word restaurants. Okay, and more importantly, two out of three searches for restaurants on Google are unbranded. And you're like, Rev, I don't know what that means. Don't worry, I'm going to explain it. Okay. Unbranded means people do not search for the name of your restaurant. They search for what they crave, which in this example is acai bowls, right? So if somebody goes on to Google and says acai bowls near me, how do you get chosen? Okay. Now this is this, this is the secret. This is the tip. Okay, you do what's called listings management and you don't need to understand what that means or even remember it. Okay, because I'm going to tell you, you open up your Google My Business and you add your name, your address, your phone number, your hours of operation, your approved photos, and most importantly, your menu. Okay, and when I say your menu, I mean the name of the item, the description, and the price, okay? Why is that? If I search acai bowl near me, how does Google know that you serve acai bowls and that you are relevant for that search? You literally have to manage that information inside Google My Business to confirm, yes, Google, I have acai bowls, okay? Now, where where the winning move is, is to not just do it on Google, it's to also do it on Yelp and Facebook and Bing and, and Yahoo and Foursquare and TripAdvisor and any website that consumers use to go discover to where to get their next meal. Okay. Because here's another important stat. Okay. 60, I think it's 75% of people who search restaurant near me make a purchase within 60 minutes. Okay. So really it's not their fingers that are on the keyboards. It's their wallet. Okay. It's their wallet saying acai bowl near me. If you want to make sure that you acquire new customers, you have to manage your listings on all those sites, especially your menu. So important. It's, I mean, we're talking about premeditated intent and that's like gold. Nothing could be more gold. And if you're not discoverable, that is the biggest problem. I mean, we talk about it all the time. It's the amount of time that people spend on their smartphones. And if your restaurant isn't coming up on Instagram, if it's not coming up in Facebook, but this is even more specific. This is, that's a social post. And then there's targeted posts. This is when somebody's searching literally for a pizza near them. And if your pizza shop doesn't show up, that is a problem. If your acai bowl shop doesn't show up, that is a problem. Yeah, and it's not just pizza shop. Like, I might be craving garlic knots. You know what yeah. I mean? Correct. Specific. I want a cheesesteak, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we tell the story all the time. My wife and I, we found the daycare. We moved to a new part of San Diego that we didn't know any daycares were, you know, new parents. And what did we do? We, we searched for daycare in our area and what came up, but a Yelp listings of the top 10 daycares, the only two out of 10 daycares had claimed their Yelp page. They had a, only two of them had a mobile first site. So it allowed us to easily book an appointment to go see the daycare. They had updated photos and guess what? They're the ones that are getting our business. And it's not that the other ones weren't recommended by other people in real life that had kids that went there. It was just the other one had a better digital profile. 
I, you know, I think I think that uh, some of the things that we're talking about and some of the things that you talk about, honestly, are kind of table stakes these days for restaurants. You know what I mean, C- customers and we joked about this earlier, but consumers are on their phones all the freaking time, like all the freaking time. It's time for you to meet them on that journey. And I, you know, what? I, I can send this to if you want. I mapped out last year how many digital touch points happen for a customer to eat one meal, right? Yes. To eat one meal with a restaurant. And I believe that there are more than 25 digital touch points that happen for somebody to get one sandwich from a restaurant. Please send that. Yes, please send me that. And from a, from a marketing perspective, if I'm the brand, right, if I'm the restaurant, I'm going to spend a ton of time making sure my tables look a certain way and my food gets presented a certain way and I deliver a special bag and I'm going to curate this incredible on-premise experience, right? Yeah. Why would I not use that same mindset to my online presence, right? Why would I not use the same con- concern and care that I would for the way my napkins get folded to the way I reply to reviews? Why would I not apply the same amount of care I use to select the wine list that I have to the way I manage my Instagram? And the key is, is that there are more times that a consumer touches you digitally than they do uh, IRL in real life. Yeah. And you want to perfect the customer journey. You need to perfect all those online moments because they connect them to the offline moment. So I know uh, we're, we're, we're coming up against some time, um, but this is only part one of how many times I'm going to have Rev on the show. Uh, this is all incredible information. Seriously, I, I feel like there's we, we have a digital and kinship. And when you do come to San Diego or when I meet you in real life, wherever you are, um, I know we're going to have a great time. But what, what does digital hospitality mean to you? Uh, it, it, so almost exactly what I just said, right, was extend the same amount of care and concern that you would have off premise to online, right? Yeah. And here's the way I like to tell people, okay, if I'm in your restaurant, what do you do or what does your server do right before you hand me the bill? What does a server do before, before they hand you the bill? Right before I get handed the bill, what does a server say to me? Did you enjoy everything? How was your meal? Yeah. They do a table touch, right? Yep. If I say it was great, they usually reply, thank you, here's the bill, right? Yeah. And if I said it was something went wrong and I was like, oh, the toilet was broken or my food was cold or it was a chip in the glass, what, what would you do? They would probably go get a manager. <laughs> they would handle the problem, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when somebody says, here's a five-star review on Yelp, why would you not apply the same thinking and say thank you to them online? When right. somebody goes onto Google and says, my delivery was late or the barbecue sauce spilled in the bag or the driver was a jerk, why would you not extend the same level of hospitality you would in your dining room that you would online? The answer is, you know you should. It's absolutely 100% true. Um, Rev, you're a rock star. How can people interact with you and how can they, um, if if they want to learn more about what you do, your marketing business and your uh, consulting services? Awesome. Well, don't look at the terrible examples of my first blog post (laughs) that you're going to share because it's not going to give you the birth of what I can help you with. 
I guess if you need a good laugh, I am at Rev Ciancio on every social network. And most people are like, I cannot spell that. Uh, and even if I say it's R-E-V-C-I-A-N and then click on the dude with the hat, the easiest way to find me is I run, as you said, the world's largest French fry themed Instagram account. It's called Fun With Fries. Most people can remember that. If, fun you, with fries. if you get to the Fun With Fries Instagram page, right in the bio is a link to Rev Ciancio. So just shoot me a DM. Well, Rev, you are awesome. Uh, we really appreciate it. Like I said, this is only part one of many, many parts to come. Thank you for um, your service to the hospitality industry and to uh, digital storytelling. We we truly appreciate it. And uh, thank you, listeners, for interacting with the show. You guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at Sean P. Walchef on Instagram, TikTok, Clubhouse. LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it, we're there. Uh, we want to interact with you. We believe a rising tide lifts all ships. Um, we're here for you, whatever we can do to help you out. Um, stay curious, get involved, uh, and ask for help.